Live from the House of LeMay Makeup and Dressing Room. Here comes Amber. Stop what you're doing. Here comes Amber. She's just doing what she can. Here comes Amber. Cue the spotlight. Here comes Amber with two drinks in her hand. The matriarch of fashion, secret sewer glasses. Can't look away. Ask her, does she do it? Really nothing to it. She's got that fan on it, yay! If you have a party, or if you're feeling naughty, call up the house of the May. Hello, and welcome to the Amber Live interviews. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live. We want to remind you to subscribe to us both here and at youtube.com slash amberlive. You don't want to miss a moment of Amber LeMay, the Larry King of drag queens. There's so much more to the show than just the interviews that Amber does each week. We have hundreds of interviews, comedy sketches, songs, and more on YouTube that you can watch anytime. But... In the meantime, you can listen to the amazing interviews right here. Now enjoy this episode of Amber Live Interviews. Our next guest is Ginger Minge. You might recall Ginger was on the show a few weeks ago talking about her show, The Golden Gals. And she's alumni of RuPaul's Drag Race and RuPaul's All-Star Drag Race. We're going to talk a lot about that. But she's really here tonight to talk about what she's doing this summer in Provincetown. Ginger, come on in. I ran all the way from the beach. Oh, oh gosh, I'm getting flashbacks of Baywatch. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm more of the buoy that was always kind of the safety buoy out in the water. Oh, Ginger, so good to see you again. So tell us, how did the Golden Gals go? Amazing. Uh, Chicago was, it was just like this fever dream. It all happened so fast. <laughs> it felt like it went on forever. And then the second our, our plane touched down in Orlando after that run, we got an email saying, hey, would you mind coming back to Chicago in a couple of weeks to headline the Golden Girls convention that we do here? So I wrote, literally, I'm in the Uber with the girls on the way home, like, what plot points do we want to hit? da 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 I wrote overnight uh, a, a show that was specifically for the Golden Girls convention. Went incredibly well. We had uh, Mark Sotkin, who was head writer and yeah. showrunner for years and years. A lot of the creators of the show um, who collaborated with us because they were so impressed by what we did. And they were like, you've got 99% of this, right? Let us help you with that other 1%. And it really like just kind of... Um, made the rest of, of our run over the next couple months absolutely spectacular. Those little bits and pieces from the people who were actually there in the room. And it was also really nice from to hear from them how much they appreciated what we do. How many people were at that convention? Um, I believe the last I heard it was about 2,000 people. <laughs> Uh, which in, in every single one of them, it was hard to get a real count as they were walking by because every time they walked by, they were in a brand new costume. <laughs> I was like, you have more costume changes than we do and we're the entertainment. Um, but they were just 
spectacular. Everybody was there because they loved this one thing. And the like just the, the camaraderie in that hotel that entire weekend was unrivaled in my entire career. That's great. Now, where, what other cities did you tour the show? Uh, so we ended up going to a couple of different places. We just closed our seven-month run in Atlanta this past week. We had two weeks in Atlanta. Sellout success, standing ovations every night, some of the best audiences I've ever performed for. Uh, and we took it to Claremont, Florida. It's like a homecoming for us. We actually did um, a retirement community tour in South Florida, where we didn't know how we were going to be uh, embraced by these people, if we were going to be embraced at all, because of everything politically that's kind of going on in Florida right now kind of stems from that area. So we were like, it's a gaggle of gays coming to invade the retirement community. They ate it up. They loved us. And we had a great time. Like everywhere we went, there's just something about the Golden Girls that makes people want to love and we felt that love at every place. Now, in any of those cities that you were in or, or places, did you feel any backlash or did you hear of any backlash? Uh, the only place that, that we had uh, any kind of reservation about was going to um, South Florida. And, you know, when we, well, in Florida in general, because even though Claremont is so close to Orlando, um, it's in Lake County where I grew up. I know that we have a big fan base there, but I was also very concerned about how conservative it is and has always been. And, you know, as soon as those things start uh, rumbling through the community, you never know who's going to show up, what they're going to say, or what they're going to do. So they were very kind to us. They made sure that we had um, police at, at every single performance. We had wow. security there. They, they, But it turned out we didn't need it because those people just wanted to come and laugh and have a good time. Oh, how nice. How nice. All mm -hmm. right. So you're headed to Provincetown. What are you going to do there? Ah, well, I'm going to do everything in Provincetown <laughs> from one end of Commercial Street to the next. It's my third year there in a row. The first two years were sellout successes. And uh, like uh, the first year that I went in, I, I had been filming the, um, the drag race Christmas movie, uh, The Bitch Who Stole Christmas. And my my scenes kept getting delayed and delayed. I literally drove up to the theater, got out of the car, never having been in Provincetown before, with 20 minutes to get into drag and hit the stage. No rehearsal, nothing. And I was panicked. I was like, you know, I, I know I can pull off a show. I can pull a show right from underneath my skirt if I have to. But in a place where I've never been that is so historic for yeah. drag performers, I was so nervous. And I was met with so much love and joy and, and compassion from all of these people. We had a great time. And then the next thing I know, the buzz is building and building and building and we're sold out every single night. And everything that I had been told from the other girls that had worked at P-Town before were like, it's a great gig but you're going to be hot and sweaty and tired because you're going to have to go out there and bark. You're going to have yeah. to get these people to come see the show. Knock on wood, everything. I have never had to bark 
because it's just like we're in a perfect location where people see us and they want to come to the show and they want to have a good time. We've got a great time slot and our show always closes out the night at the art house, which is one of the most beautiful venues there. And I, Oh yes. Yes. All of them at this point, just to see like support my sisters and see other shows, but there's something so spectacular about that venue and it's right down the, the block from tea dance. So it's a perfect opportunity for them to go eat dinner, go have a little party and then come over and have a spectacular show. What, this, what, what, what days are you going to be there? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every week at 9.30 p.m. at the Art House. Oh, there's the information right there. And for the second year in a row, I'm bringing my best friend, Gidget Galore, who plays Rose in all of our Golden Gal shows. Um, and this year, it is a Broadway tour de force. We're doing, <laughs> let me see if I can remember all this. We have 24 musical numbers. Um 18 costume changes, wow. like big Broadway costume changes, plus dramatic scenes. Well, I say dramatic scenes. They're really ridiculous and over the top, but it's just so funny. And it's something that I think you would only get if you have that P-Town summertime sensibility. You just want to go unwind and laugh and listen to things that you know, sing along, clap along, dance along. And our favorite thing to do, of course, is audience participation. So we're giving out lots and lots of prizes this year. Um, it's it's unlike any other show you're going to get throughout all of P-Town. And I know that because I've seen them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. We'll be down there during Carnival Week. And we'll make sure that your show is one of those that we see. Please do. And like I said, it's a great nightcap. It's the last show in town every night that it performs. So you can go see everybody else. You can have your dinner. You can party. You can have a good time. And then just come relax with us for an hour and laugh, 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 laugh. What do you like to do in Provincetown when you're not on stage? The food is unrivaled. I <laughs> Everything is so fresh and it's so delicious. And there's so much variety. I was very concerned when I first started going there because I'm allergic to iodine. I can't have any type of seafood. And it's a beach town, you know? And they were like, oh my gosh, the best lobster rolls in the world, the best crabs, the best this. And I'm like, I can't have any of it. But then I started noticing like the best burgers I've ever had are in P-Town. The best chicken tenders I've ever had are in P-Town. And it's, it's something that's so like trivial, I guess. You know, like, oh, it's a chicken tender, girl. How can you mess it up? You can mess it up. There's, it, everything is just so fresh and every restaurant just takes so much care with their menu. I love it. And of course, I'm going to go, I'm going to party. I'm going to eat the fudge. I'm going to eat the saltwater coffee <laughs> and I'm going to spend way too much money on alcohol. <laughs> yes, it's easy to do. You know, I don't see much chicken there during Carnival Week. I, I don't know why. <laughs> They're there a few weeks before. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. Well, that just sounds great. And I can't wait to see your show. So you were on RuPaul's Drag Race Season 7. And then you were also in uh, the All-Stars 2 and 6. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going on so far in uh, All-Stars? Oh, I should have brought my reading glasses for this. <laughs> this season of All-Stars has been the most dramatic thing I think I have seen in oh. years. It, there's so many tears. 
Like there were a lot of tears on every season that I participated in, mostly from me in the hotel room, <laughs> just sobbing. But the, it, it, I don't know. Like, I don't even know how to process a lot of what's happened because it feels like there's a lot and it's happening quickly. Yeah. And it feels like every week there's a brand new giant dramatic plot line dropped into play. <laughs> I love these girls and I talk to them all the time and, and they want to ask me like, what do I think? I'm like, I don't know what to think. I really don't. This, I mean, it's been a ride. I have loved watching this season, but it has been so different than any um, recent season, particularly of all stars, like all star six was a big love fest. You know, we were all, it was the height of the pandemic. So we were just really happy to be in a room with like-minded people. We were happy to have the opportunity to perform. We were just happy to be out of our houses and doing drag. And I think that translated. And then of course you get to All-Star 7, which is the all winners, all stars, and nobody went home. So it felt like uh -huh. the dramatic stakes were lower and people could just be themselves and have a good time. And then you get to All-Stars 8 and it's like, it's super cutthroat. I don't know I, I, how I would have fared in a season like this. Um, I, I liked Seven when they all stayed. I, I thought you could build up and yet they could really, you said relax, but also show off more. Yeah, and yeah. I, I really like that because the pressure was off. I feel like with All Stars in particular, like you go into the season already knowing these girls, at, at least a little bit. You know them, you love them, you have a connection, and you want to see what they have to offer. You want to see what they do well, if they've improved and things they didn't do well before, or are they going to be able to live up to the hype of the things they excelled at? Okay. And I think it was really nice to be able to watch All Star 7 and see people, you know, one person didn't do well one week, but then they could come back when they would have been eliminated the week before okay. and really knock it out of the park. That's the really exciting thing about that format. And I hope going forward, I mean, I don't know. They don't listen to me. They don't ask my opinion. But I always hope going forward that they'll kind of adopt that format and run with it. Because I think it's more fun to watch. Now, when they, when they choose who goes home, I'm, I, I'm a competitor. Mm -hmm. And if I have a chance to send someone better than me home or someone who I think might beat me, I'm going to send them home. But that doesn't seem to be the case in some weeks. What, what do you think about that? Well, I think that it's easy to sit back and say that. Because <laughs> I thought that way on All Stars 2. And of course, on All Stars 2, I never got the opportunity to have really much say in who went or stayed, whatever. Um, so going into All Stars 6, I was like, I'm going to send everybody home that I can. I'm going to get that crown. I'm going to stay as long as I can. And then you get in the room and you realize that as important as it is to you, it's just as important to every person in that room. And you've got this built-in relationship because you travel with these girls. You love them. You know them. And you don't want to be the person who stops their journey short when it's something that they don't deserve. So even though I went into All-Star 6 with the mindset of getting rid of the strongest competition, I had to stop and go, no, because that was done to me on All-Stars 2. Not saying I was the strongest competition, but in a week where 
I was told in critiques that I should be on Broadway. I deserve my own woman, one woman show. Um, my performance was spectacular. And I ended up in the bottom, which a lot of people felt was unfairly. I, I don't know because I'm so attached to the, the situation. I can't look at it objectively, but a lot of people felt I got a raw deal on that. And I said, well, do you want to be that person that gives somebody else the raw deal? So I had to really stop and go, all right, she does deserve to be here. I'm just going to go based on judges critiques and play fairly. And it's not something I ever planned to do. <laughs> Very interesting. So who's your favorite? Who's left of, of, of all stars eight? And uh, who do you think would be there in the finals? I, I have loved Jessica Wilde from her first season. I met her before I was ever even thinking about auditioning for Drag Race. And she's always been so kind to me. So I'm really happy to see her doing well. I would love to see her in the finale. You know, we're down to four now. Oh. Um, and I think that all of them really deserve their place in the competition. Um, I don't love the way that Alexis Michelle has been playing. I don't love the way that Candy has been playing. I agree. But that's not for me to say because it's I, their game. They're playing it how they see fit. So I think that they do deserve their place in the finale for playing a smart game. But I really think if it comes down to if I could choose the winner, I would choose between Jessica Wilde and Jimbo for sure. Th those are my favorites as well. Jimbo is just outrageous. <laughs> just outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> just do not. So much fun to watch. Oh, yeah. And even though I've never really had much personal experience with her, I have always heard that she is um, very kind, that she um, not, I, I want to say play a fair game, but take the game aspect out of it, but that she is a very fair person. Um, which I've always kind of strived to be, you know, I, I don't ever have to be the nicest person, but I always want to be a very fair person and give people their dues when they deserve them. So I respect that in a competitor. And I feel like her and Jessica have played a great game this whole season. And I'm certainly rooting for both of them. Um, and those, they would be my picks, I think at this point. Mine too. And because both of them are having fun. Yes. You, you can know, tell they're both having fun. Jessica gets nervous. I just said, strike everything. <laughs> I'm rooting for them because they are the two that seem, the two of the four that are left that seem to just be enjoying the experience. And that's what drag is. It's what drag is. It's just this big, enjoyable ball of love. And I think that they're both representing that really well. Very good. You've, you've got good taste there. <laughs> all right you're in provincetown through um the first of september what happens then so as soon as provincetown is over um i go on the work the world no i go to australia first i'm doing the queens of comedy tour in australia um which i'm excited about it's it's a tour i got to do right before the pandemic so like four or five years ago at this point um, I love Australia. I love the people there. I always said, if I ever go back for Drag Race, I just hope it's like um, Down Under versus the world or something, because I love all those girls. I would love to participate in something like that. Um, I also feel like uh, Australian drag, like Australian New Zealand drag, it's just so campy and kitsch and very me. 
Um, so I'm excited to be over there. And then after that, I get to go. Well, who's who's going to be on the tour with you? Oh, gosh, there's so many. I know Candy's going to be there, which I'm excited yeah. about because I've never really gotten to work with her before. Yeah. And she is very funny. <laughs> um, Cracker's going to be there. And Miss Cracker and I are actually, we've gotten very close over the last couple of years because we've been booked to do a lot of the same things. We have the same kind of sensibility. Um, so I'm excited to tour with her. We just did a cruise together. She's going to be the 7 p.m. slot at Art House all summer long. So okay. it's the first summer that I've been there that I get to actually share the venue with the Drag Race sister. And I'm glad it's her because I really like her. Um, and there's, there's a whole plethora of girls. I'd have to look at the poster to give you the full rundown. Right. Um, and then after that, I get to go co-host Work the World in Europe um, and Mexico. And then after that, it's full steam ahead for my book. My book gets released on November 7th. Um, it's already reached number one on Amazon. It's doing really well in pre-sales. Uh, so if anybody's listening out there, the pre-sales do help me and you. So go and, and get it now. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, just wherever you get it, just get it. Um, but we're going to be doing the whole big press tour for the book Um the week before and then a couple of weeks after the release on November 7th. So that's going to take me into the holidays. Give me the cliff notes about your book. Uh, I always say it is part cookbook, part memoir, part tell all and everything in the book from the meatloaf to the gossip is juicy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are no holds barred. I feel like particularly with um, the political climate today, I think a lot of, of the arguments that happen online, in person, regarding drag artists or about them or to them or whatever, it all comes from a place of not understanding who we are uh, or why we are or what, why we do what we do. So sitting down to write this book, it was very important for me to share it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, and there's a lot of ugly in there. But I also feel like when you can read a story, whether you are part of the LGBTQIA plus community, whether you're a fan of drag or not, there's something in there that you can relate to. There's something in there that's going to show you that we have a lot more in common than we don't. And I've been encouraging people, you know, buy a copy for yourself. If, you, if you're a fan, I would love for you to have this book because I think if you know something, if you think you know me, you're going to learn so much more. But also buy a copy and send it to somebody who doesn't know me, who doesn't want to know me. Send it to your, your racist Aunt Helen. Send it to your, your, your bigoted cousin down the street. Send it and get it into the hands of people who can read the story and learn something from it. Because I think that's the easiest way and the most effective way of changing minds and making things better for everybody. Once you, once you point out the, the similarities instead of focusing on the differences and my life, it, it, it's like a lifetime movie of the week. <laughs> I, I grew up in not great circumstances. I, fought really hard to be where I am today and to have these opportunities. And I've done it all with love and gratitude because I feel like it gets you further in the world. Um, and then the cookbook aspect just comes because obviously food is my love language. And my grandmother always had this saying, um, every time people were picking on me, she would say, come and help me, come and help me in the kitchen, come help me. So I'd go and I'd help her cook. And she'd always tell me, remember, 
if you keep their mouth full of food, like full of food, <laughs> full of love, they don't have the time to spit out the hate. So if you cook with love and you treat them with love, they're going to take that in and they're going to treat you better because of it. They're not going to have the time to be an asshole. Um, and that's kind of the through line of the book is my grandmother and her advice and her recipes. And the oh, recipes. Thank you, Grandma. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's give one more plug for your show this summer in Provincetown. It is called The Broad's Way. We are at the Art House in P-Town. And every night we are at 9.30 p.m. It's hysterical. It is the best show that I've done in P-Town. Um, an hour long and we've got all like over 20, uh, like I think it's like 24, 25 songs. Um, all these costume changes. It's just, it's spectacular. It's a laugh a minute, not even a laugh a minute, laugh a second. And you'll have a really good time. Great. Can't wait to see it. Carnival week. Thank you so much, Ginger. And come back in November to tell us, tell us more about your book. I would love to. And it's called Southern fried sass for anybody <laughs> who wants to go look it up. Southern fried sass by Ginger Minge. I love it. Safe travels to Provincetown and see you then. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Amber Live Interviews. Remember to subscribe to us so you don't miss a single minute of the fun. And remember, it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast by using our Venmo at RJD Pro or by visiting us at AmberLive.tv and clicking on the Support Amber Live button. Thank you.